The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abiah, and Abiah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Yotam, and Yotam the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we Lord, we want to lift you up. And want to bring um, everything to you, Lord. The, Lord, this church that you have founded in this local community is yours and yours alone. Lord, I pray as we go into the season of Advent that we realize, we are reminded of how abounding your love is, how abounding your grace is. Lord, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity to listen and meditate on your words. So, Lord, I pray uh, that our hearts and our minds are open. May everything be removed, all the weightlessness of, of sin, Lord, um, be removed, Lord. And may your Holy Spirit just throw his weight around. And may our hearts be wrestled with. Lord, may your name be glorified in your name alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. All right, good morning, everybody. How are you? What are you doing well? All right, if I haven't met you, my name's Randall. I'm pastor of Grace City. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, we are in this season of Advent, and so if that's new for you, a new term, uh, it's okay. It, it's, it's really inviting because what it is is, is this, this word that means arrival, um, arrival. And so thinking about the arrival of Jesus, and so we've been looking at uh, the first coming of Jesus, Jesus coming as a baby, but, but ultimately that's not the end of the story. Uh, there's another arrival. When Jesus comes back again, makes all things right. You know, as we look at the world that we live in, uh, many of us feel discouraged uh, when we, we, we look at the news or, or things that are going on in our world, we, we think to ourselves, shouldn't it be different and what this season gives us is hope. It gives us hope that it's not the end of the story, but that Jesus is coming again. And so in that spirit of arrival, of anticipation of Jesus coming again, uh, we're going to be looking at this text from Matthew 1, 6 through 11. Um, this is the genealogy of Jesus. This is Jesus' lineage. And, and for many of us, if we, we start uh, reading the Bible and people tell us, well, where do you start? They say, well, just start in Matthew. And so you start in Matthew and then you start to read through Matthew and you start to read through all of these names. And you're thinking to yourself, is this what the Bible is? Like all of these names that I can't pronounce? Ryan did a great job of pronouncing those names in the Hebrew. I can't do that same thing. But, but you know, thinking about uh, reading the Bible can seem like a, a, a task that it just feels like overwhelming. And so people tell us, we'll start here. But then we get to this and we think, okay, what is this? What does this mean? But more than just the names on the surface of what we see, I just want you to know that there's lives here. These are people's lives. This is history. And so when we're reading this, when we're reading through the history of these lives and these people, 
It all means something. And what it means is this, that through the history of what we're going to look at today, it helps us to understand that there's a deep need that we all have. That when every one of those names were read, that all of them had the deep need that you and I have. We all have this struggle. And so today we're going to talk about our deepest need as we think about Advent today. So what do you anticipate most about this season? What do you anticipate the most? I was walking with my wife recently and I'm walking through the neighborhood and we would do these morning walks together. And I thought to myself, where are all the lights? Where are all the lights at? Like, I want to see more lights here. And she's like, man, you're getting really judgy. You know, like the, the neighborhood, maybe people haven't had time yet to put up their lights. But I, my, my anticipation is that when I walk through the neighborhood, I'm going to see some lights. I'm going to see some, some really nice decorations that are out. Right? So um, for many of us, we, we think of this season, we think, to, what is it filled with? Well, it's probably shopping. Uh, Christmas music, maybe some different movies that we enjoy, some old favorites here and there that bring up some memories, uh, family visits. Uh, maybe some of us have our favorite drink at uh, a local coffee shop. Uh, I was going through the drive through at Starbucks recently. I saw the list. You know the list, right? It's like the holiday list. And I look at it and I think to myself, I don't even like a peppermint mocha, but I'm going to get a peppermint mocha right now. Just because it's on the list, you know? And so for some of us, it's that seasonal list of drinks and we're just like feeling like, okay, I, I'm, I'm ready and anticipating this season. But also as we think about this season, we have to be honest. Many times as we start to venture into it and, and it really becomes uh, closer and closer to Christmas, uh, we start to get filled with anxiety Anxiety of these uh, shopping lists that we've got to meet, the deadlines that we have, uh, maybe memories of times gone by. If we really start to think about it, maybe there's family tensions that are involved in this season, financial stresses and pressures, those weights start to fall upon our shoulders. What we find is that many times this season can lead to these unmet expectations from what we had at the beginning of the month to as we venture towards the end of the month. Uh, there was a study that was done by Psychology Today. Uh, there's a guy named Ray Williams. And he, he entitled this uh, article that he wrote, Why People Get Depressed at Christmas. Uh, here's what he says. He said, we're, we are told that Christmas for Christians should be the happiest time of year, an opportunity to be joyful and grateful with family, friends, and colleagues. Yet, according to the National Institute of Health, uh, Christmas is the time of year that people experience a high uh, incidence of depression. Hospitals and police forces report high incidences of suicide and attempted suicide. Psychiatrists, psychologists, and other mental health professionals report a significant increase in patients complaining about depression. One North American survey reported that 45% of respondents dreaded the festive season. Right, as we start to, 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 to venture into the realities of the season that we're in, there's these unmet expectations and there's a gaping hole in our lives. And what I want you to know is that as we venture into the lineage of Jesus and we start to look at his family line, you're going to see that there's this, this gaping hole. Right? There's an expectation that if you're in the lineage of Jesus, that's, you've made it. 
But really what we've seen is that there, there actually is a, a gaping hole. See, what the report said was that this, uh, the reason that was given for the immense amounts of depression was that there was unrealistic expectation and excessive self-reflection. Unrealistic expectations, excessive self-reflection. And so as we come to this season of Advent, is all of these things that pull our attention, it feels so important to us, and it, it, it feels like we have these weights on our shoulders. Is that what this is about? No. No. And so that's why we need to come back and look to what it really is all about. And this section of Jesus' lineage tells us something really important, that our deepest need has been met, has been met. And so Matthew uh, 1, 6 through 11 is our text for today. And over this Advent season, we've been studying this this family line, genealogy of Jesus. And, And today we get this glimpse into why his arrival is so meaningful and fulfills the deepest needs that we have. So uh, how do we see that in today's text? Well, it reveals it to us in three phases in the life of the Israelite people. Um, And ultimately how this all points us back to Jesus. So here's the three points from the text today. It's this, it reveals the great anticipation, two unmet expectations, three better ending. Great anticipation, unmet expectations, better ending. So the first one is a great anticipation. Look at verse 6 at the first part. It says, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Of David, the king. Now to understand the context of what's going on here, we must go back to 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 9. Ultimately, it was the intention of the people of Israel to have uh, a human king. Well, let's go back. In this text, uh, Samuel the prophet was asked by the people to give them a king. See, Samuel was getting older in age, and the leaders of Israel uh, came to him and said, appoint to us a king to judge us like all the nations. So what made the people of Israel different from the rest of the world? that ultimately they believed that their king wasn't an earthly king, but was God, that God was their king. But they got frustrated with that because they started to look around at other nations and they started to see that they had kings, they had leaders. And so uh, the prophet Samuel, he's good, but we need something more. You're getting old in age is what they told him. And so we need ourselves a king. Samuel was upset by this. And, um, and, God uh, gave Samuel his response because Samuel goes to God and and prays about it. And God tells Samuel uh, basically that the people have not rejected you, Samuel, but they've rejected me. They didn't want me to be king. It's not about whether they want a human king or not or, or, or prophet or not or you, but it's ultimately about, God said, it was about him. See, God was to rule over his people, but his people didn't want God to be the king. So ultimately, Samuel anoints 
Saul as king. Now, if we know a little bit about the story of Saul, Saul started out pretty good, but ended up being a really bad king. If you fast forward, um, Saul was installed as king, uh, but continually uh, disobeyed God's commands and eventually was rejected as king. And then we get to uh, 1 Samuel 16. And Samuel is sent to anoint a new king. So Saul, out, God's hand is not on him anymore, new king. So he goes to the sons of Jesse. And so Jesse is mentioned here in the lineage of Jesus. And here's the instruction that God gives to Samuel. He says, as you go and look at the sons of Jesse, here's what I want. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord says this. He see, uh, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. And so as uh, Samuel goes and he starts to gather the sons of Jesse, he has them all pass by. And so you can read about it in 1 Samuel uh, 16, verses 10 through 13. But Samuel says, okay, I need all of your sons to pass by me. And Samuel looks to Jesse and he says, uh, the one that God has chosen is not here. Do you have another son? Are all your sons here? He says, well, there's one son. He, he's, he's not here right now. He's actually out tending the sheep. He's the youngest, and uh, he's out there working. And so they didn't even really think of David being a possibility of, of this being the king. Samuel says, go get him. Send him over here. And David comes, and the Lord said to Samuel, he's the one. He's the one. So Samuel takes the oil, anoints David as king in front of his brothers and sends David on this journey where eventually he would be crowned as king. See, in the next chapter, uh, in chapter 17, David defeats Goliath. And so many of us have probably heard that story before, but I encourage you to read it again. And what happens is there's this great anticipation as David, probably around 15 years old, defeats Goliath. But he has to wait another 15 years to be lifted up as king of Judah, another 22 years before he's king of Israel, and in the midst of this, there's this anticipation that is built that, yes, David's the king that we've been waiting for. This is the one we can look to. This is the one who God has set aside. But let's keep going in the, the lineage of Jesus here. Unmet expectations. Look at uh, verse 6, uh, second part through 10. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the, the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham. You get it. You get it, right? Like, we, we, we keep going. You know, there's a lot of names here, and you think, oh, there's a lot of names. Like, I 
But here's the thing. With this great anticipation that they had, David's king, what comes next? David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Who's the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. You see, the way that Matthew wrote this and the way that God intended him to write it was in a way that helps us to understand that in our greatest anticipations of the way that we think things are going to work out and the plans that we have, it all seems to be falling into place, that there's a reality of sin. There's the reality of sin. The wife of Uriah, this wasn't the wife of David. You know, we think about David in, in the scriptures and we think of all of the great things that David did. But I encourage you, read through 2 Samuel 11. Read through 2 Samuel 11. See, here's the thing. Even the greatest leaders fall short. And David the one that was anointed by God, that trusted God through all seasons, had this season with Bathsheba. Friends, it's discouraging, right? It's discouraging. Because it says the, the wife of Uriah, knowing that it's Bathsheba. Yet there's something more. Second, we find that through this lineage, Solomon, Rehoboam. You know Rehoboam? Rehoboam's story is pretty simple. He was filled with pride and divided the kingdom. Divided the kingdom. We see, as you look through these names, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, there, there's, there's people that followed God. There's people that didn't follow God. As we look through the lineage, it's a broken family. There's brokenness all over. And so I just want to say today that if you walk in here and you come here and you look at your family lineage and you say, man, there's a lot of brokenness in here, that there's redemption that's possible. There's redemption that's possible. But we need to see that there's a lineage of failed kings. Michael Wilkins, who's a commentator on this, he says, there is uh, in no other words, or in other words, no pattern of righteousness in the lineage of Jesus. Adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, Gentiles are all found in the genealogy from Abraham to David. We see that wicked kings fathered good kings, good kings fathered wicked kings, wicked Rehoboam, and his wicked son Abijah had offspring who were good kings, Asa, Jehoshaphat. Their offspring was the wicked king Joram. And so what we see here is that there is a fallenness and a deep need that we see in the lineage of Jesus. The third part is this. There's a better ending. Look at verse 11. 
and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So what's happening here is is the way that uh, Matthew wrote this is he wrote it into sections. But but it it was intentional because um, obviously at that point they didn't have the printing press. And so many of them would have memorized this. He made it easier for them to, to memorize as well. And so we start to look through this lineage and we start to see that the way it's written out is, is helping us to, 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 to memorize what's, what's happening here. And so he, he, ta- he, he ends it with this, this ending of the deportation to Babylon. Now, what are we supposed to feel here as we start to read that? Well, this is a depressing ending for the people of Israel. Depressing ending, right? If this is the period uh, behind the sentence of this is the people of Israel, period, this is a depressing ending. See, the nation at this time goes into exile, but God said that he was sending them into exile for a purpose, for a reason. What was the reason? That they would cling to him that they would hold tightly to him. He was allowing them to go into this so that they would hold tightly to him. We end up getting to this place where there's uh, silence between the time that that, that, uh, God said he would send his Messiah and what we see in the book of Matthew. But when they came out of exile they no longer had a king. They were without a king. No more kings at that point. What was this symbolizing? That no human king could fill the void of our true heavenly king. Who was to be seated on the throne? It was the one who told Samuel, They didn't want me. They wanted Saul. So just give them Saul. Let them experience what Saul's like and know what it's like to not have me. See, we see it through the lineage of Jesus. But there's this anticipation, a new anticipation that's building. Because what was the question all of Israel was asking when Jesus walked the earth and came on the scene. Matthew 12, 23. All the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? David was the best king. He wasn't a perfect king, but he loved the Lord. His heart was for the Lord. But could this be the son of David? What were they asking? Why would they say that? Isaiah 9 Six through seven says this, for this was a prophecy. Isaiah was writing, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of this government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
See, friends, the thing I want to tell you today is this. That as David lived out his life, and we look at the stories in Scripture, we, we, we look at the, the lineage, we look at the history. What's the ultimate point of all of that? What's the story of David and Goliath? Is it just how David's the hero? Look at this amazing man who's defeated Goliath and won salvation for everyone. No. See, David was just a glimpse of a better ending. See, because that, that freedom that the, the, the Israelites got from the Philistines as David defeated Goliath, that was temporary. It was temporary. They would get themselves in trouble again and again and again. But do you know the ultimate salvation that was really meant to come, that was going to be from the, 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 the son of David? It would be the one Jesus who would come Defeat the giant that you and I could never have defeated. Our sin, our guilt, our shame. And he took it all the way to the cross. And he's taken his seat on the rightful throne where he was meant to be the whole time. See, in Jesus, in him defeating sin and death through the cross, you know what that does? It buys salvation for all of us. Not temporary, but eternal you want to know the longing that, that you and I have and the deep need that all, all of us have? It's not a temporary salvation where we feel like, okay, I can buy this gadget or get this thing or whatever it might be or even spend this time with family, which is great. But it's temporary. It's ultimately that there's a salvation that's bought that's eternal and that it came through the Son of God and that as we see him seated on the throne, we say, oh, that's the better ending. That's the better story. That's the story that's better than David. And actually, David was ultimately looking to him, not to himself. Ultimately, David was a good king because he knew the good king. He worshipped the good king. D.A. Carson says, good or evil kings, they were part of the Messiah's line. For though grace does not run in the blood, God's providence cannot be deceived or outmaneuvered. God had this plan that was much bigger than what they could see at the time. And in their great disappointments and even depressions as they started to go, the people of God started to go into exile there would be one that would lead them out of exile eventually to the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom, the lineage of Jesus. And so what can we apply from today's text? I got three questions. Number one, does our anticipation line up with God's heart? Does our anticipation Line up with God's heart. You know, there are times that my kids come to me and they, uh, they ask me, Dad, can we do this thing? And I'm thinking to myself, no. That's not a really good thing for you. That's not a good thing. 
But you know the times when my heart just leaps with joy? It's when they look at something they ask, and then they look back at me and they say, you know, that's probably not a good thing for me. And their, their thoughts and their hearts start to line up with what? Because I'm there to protect them. I'm there to help them. I'm there to protect them. And so they start to line up with that. Here's what God's heart is in 1 Samuel 8. Listen to this. The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out, up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are able, or so they are also doing to you. Do you know the most hurtful things as a parent? As when my kids look at me and they say, Dad, you're not going to let me do that thing. You don't love me. You don't love me. You know, the thing as a parent, you feel it's like, you don't know how much I love you. My heart's filled for you. Like, I, I love you so much. I want something better for you. Sometimes that anticipation of whatever it is that we think we need isn't the best thing that we need to have. And so the question for you today is this, does your anticipation line up with God's heart? Is there something that you're anticipating in the future? Is something that, that's, that's captured your imagination? And you're thinking, that's what, I, that's what I need to fulfill my life. If I had this job, if I had this thing, whatever it might be. As you look in, to the life of who God is and you look to him, does it align up with his heart for you? Or is your heart in another place? Is it in Egypt? Like the people before. Second question is, do we see the greater lesson in unmet expectations? Do we see the greater lesson in unmet expectations? You ever had something that didn't go through? Right? Something that didn't happen? And you were super disappointed, you were mad, you were upset. God, why would you not let that happen? You know, I really needed this to go through. But the point of it isn't, <laughs> did this happen or did this not happen? You can't go back in the past and change things. The question is, did you get the lesson from whatever it is that you went through? Were you able to see that there was a lesson that God was allowing you to go through to, to teach you as that thing didn't happen? That expectation wasn't met. Do you see the greater lesson in unmet expectations? Because as we start to look through the lineage of Jesus, we can see it in hindsight, right? We can see it in hindsight where we see that the expectation was king. The result was not great. God is better. Right? So, so the same thing can be true in our lives. What are we looking back at and saying, like, did I get the lesson? Am I learning? Am I growing? Because as a disciple, as a learner in Jesus, like, that's what it's about. You're not going to have a per perfect track record but it's, it's about following, trusting. Am I getting what he's trying to teach me? Lastly, do we trust God to fulfill our deepest needs? Do we trust God to fulfill our deepest needs? 
Uh, Paul Tripp once said, he said, hope for the Christian is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. Of a guaranteed result. Do you hear what that means? That for the Christian, I'm confident because this isn't the end of the story. I'm confident because when my expectations don't match up with what happens, that my deepest need has already been met in Jesus. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like that's, that's where it's all headed to. And that it's a guaranteed result. Today, as you think about your relationship with, with God, do you have that, that sense that you have that guaranteed result? That you have that, that, that thing that says, okay, it's, everything's been met and actually I don't need anything because I have everything and what God has provided for me? That's hard, isn't it? It's a hard thing to believe. Because yeah, it's easy to, to walk through and feel like there's just a lot of anxiety that, that can override our day or feelings of unworthiness that can override our day. But in Isaiah eleven ten, this is where I want us to, to end and this is where I want us to remember. The hope, as Isaiah spoke this, he says, there shall come forth a shoot from a stump of Jesse. You ever felt like there's a stump in your way? Like, there's nothing coming out of this. It's done. It's over. It's the end of the story. It's, it's finished. It's a stump. It's cut down. It's, it's finished. Sure. Translate into which language? <laughs> Siri feels the same way. So... <laughs> says there's going to be a shoot that comes up and a branch that comes from this that shall bear much fruit. Do you know what it says in John 15? Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If your life is connected with my life, your life might feel like a stump right now but there's real life that can come from the life that Jesus has lived. Do you trust that today? Do you see that that longing has been met? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've met us in this place where many times it, it feels like maybe it's the end of the story and that unmet expectation drives us into a depression or, or just feelings of there's no way out. This is it. It's over. But Lord, as we look at the cross, that was the same feeling. There's no way it's over. Jesus has been hung on this, this old rugged cross. It's done. But then three days later, you rose from the dead. 
And you didn't rise as a beaten up Jesus. You rose as the king of all kings. And so help us, Lord, to see that as you, as we, as we put some of these things into the grave, we say, Lord, it's done, it's over, that you resurrect some things in our lives. Ultimately, you resurrect us from that dead place that we've been to a new life in you. We need that. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.